Good morning. Good morning, Anchor. Good morning, Anchor FM, Spotify. I am Dre Wise, Dre Wise Conqueror. And today, I want to talk about on this particular day, April 30th. And the time is 508 2020. I want to talk about this, you know, uh, furthermore. And share my thoughts on it at the very end of the show. Allow you guys to have a full understanding of what's going on by having the politics of Donald Trump. The doctors explain. And I add my final thought uh, at the very end of the show. At the very end of the show, I have my final thought here today on Anchor FM. Stay tuned. And here is my social, my social commercial of my of my social media. Stay tuned. What up world? What up media? Follow me on my Instagram account that is DreWise7. Follow me on my Facebook account that is DreWise Count Viewer. Also the premiere of my catastatics session exercise video will premiere today at one hour. That is 11 o'clock in the morning. Tune in to that the premiere of my catastatics exercise working out at home quarantine. Quarantine. Also, donate to my cash app that is dollar sign Lucian Jarrell 7. Again, dollar sign Lucian Jarrell 7 to hear more, hear more, hear more topics by me on this particular platform of Anchor FM. Also, collaborate with Spotify. Spotify. Here today on Anchor FM. Dre Wise, Dre Wise, Dre Wise, how? Week's video, we're looking at the coronavirus. You guys have sent me so many messages, so many comments, and even letters to do a video on this topic. And that I am going to do. I'm going to give you loads of information about coronavirus, its symptoms, how it's spread, how you can try and prevent it, and also the surgical masks. Do they really work? And loads, loads more. This is going to be quite a long video, so what I am going to do is leave a breakdown in the description below with relevant timestamps so you can find the information that you require. So the coronaviruses are a large family of viruses which cause a range of illnesses that start from a common cold, which we've all pretty much had, all the way up to more serious ones, such as SARS. Now, this coronavirus is what we call a novel coronavirus. So it's a new strain that we've never actually seen in humans before. Coronaviruses are zoonotic. This means that they're transmitted between animals and humans. However, there are several coronaviruses that only infect animals. But if they do cross over, if they do infect humans, for example, the novel coronavirus we're dealing with right now, this is what we call a spillover event. Now, before we continue, please remember that this is a developing situation and every day we're learning more about coronavirus. So, all the information I give to you in this video is relevant and up-to-date on this day right now. But, as we learn more, as the scientific community learn more, all of this information can potentially change. This video was filmed on the 1st of February 2020. All the information and data is from the WHO, NHS and Public Health England. However, this data can change with time as I've just explained. So what I will do is I'll leave some really useful links by the WHO and NHS all about coronaviruses. And these websites are constantly updated, so I'd highly recommend everyone checks them out. So what are the symptoms of coronavirus? Well, it can include any of the following. 
coughing, a fever, a runny nose, a dry cough, a sore throat, and then it can lead on to shortness of breath, and in some severe cases, patients will need hospital treatment. So how severe is it? Well, it really depends. At the moment, we know that one in five cases can become severe, leading to things like pneumonia or acute respiratory distress syndrome, leading to mechanical ventilation, and in some circumstances, it can even cause death. Now, we currently know that the novel coronavirus has a mortality rate of 2%. This means that 2% of people who have had the novel coronavirus have sadly died from it. But it also means that 98% of people who have had the novel coronavirus have got better from it, which is much less than, let's say, for example, SARS, that has a mortality rate of 10%, or even Ebola, which has a mortality rate of 70%. Now, it is important to remember, this is based on the current information that we have. There are currently people in hospital receiving treatment for the coronavirus, so the number could change, and it's not an absolute certainty. Now, in terms of treatments, unfortunately, there is no treatment currently for the coronavirus. However, the symptoms can be treated, so each patient will be looked at individually. Depending on their symptoms, they will have different treatments for it. Also, another piece of good news is they are currently working on a vaccine for the coronavirus, which is great news. Currently, the risk of getting the illness in the UK is low, and the NHS guidance is that any travellers returning from Wuhan, China, or from the Hubei province in the last 14 days should stay at home, stay indoors, and avoid contact with other people, and please contact NHS 111 and make them aware of your recent travel. For those individuals, if you do get any symptoms of coronavirus that we spoke about earlier, such as a fever, a sore throat, shortness of breath, please avoid other people, stay indoors, and contact NHS 111 or your doctor's surgery for advice. Please don't walk in, just call them. This also applies to anyone returning from any part of China apart from Hong Kong and Macau. So if you get symptoms of coronavirus, please stay indoors, avoid other people, and call NHS 111 or your doctor's surgery. Please, once again, do not walk into your doctor's surgery. Please just call and get more information and advice. This is all to reduce the spread of the virus. And also remember, even if your symptoms are mild, please stay indoors and avoid spreading the virus. So this means staying at home for at least 14 days after arriving from Wuhan, or the Hubei province, or if you have symptoms and you've come from any part of China. You need to stay at home for at least 14 days, and this means you're not going to go to work, don't go to school, don't go to public places, and obviously if you need food, contact friends or family or delivery drivers to bring it to your house. Now this is the current guidance from the NHS, however it can change tomorrow, it can change next week, it can change next month, so the best thing to do is to check the dedicated coronavirus website out that the NHS have made, it has all the up-to-date information, I'll leave a link in the description below, so please check it out. And also, please remember, if you have been in contact with someone who has had a confirmed case of the novel coronavirus, then please call and contact NHS 111 or your doctor. So how is coronavirus spread? Well, we don't know exactly how it's spread from person to person, but similar viruses spread through cough droplets, through close contact. Now, close contact is being close within two meters of someone who is infected for at least 15 minutes. But like I said, there's still lots of information that we don't so, for example, how long does it take for the virus to spread? What is the true incubation period? So this is the period that you've got the virus, but you don't have any symptoms yet. It's thought to be one to two weeks, but we're not sure of this yet. And also, can the virus be spread when you're asymptomatic? Now, the WHO recommends standard prevention technique to help reduce the spread. So tip number one is to wash your hands regularly throughout the day using soap and water. Wash it for at least 20 seconds. Now, if you haven't seen the NHS video on how to do this properly, it's a really good video. I'll leave a link in the description below. Please check it out. It's really useful. Also, please remember, if you don't have access to water or soap, you can always 
use an alcohol hand rub. Tip number two, avoid touching your face as much as you can because our hands, they carry so many germs and the way they get in is through your mucous membrane, so through your eyes, through your mouth, through your nose, that's the way the infections get in. So I know it's easy to do when you're not thinking and you go into auto drive and you might touch your face, but please try and avoid touching your face as much as you can. Tip number three, cover your mouth and nose with a tissue when you cough or when you sneeze and throw it in the bin straight away. The virus can survive for about 15 minutes on the tissue, which is why it's so important you throw it in the bin straight away. On other services like door handles, for example, the viruses are unlikely to survive more than 24 hours. Tip number four, try to avoid close contact with anyone who's showing signs of a respiratory illness. So if they're coughing, if they're sneezing, try and avoid contact with them and try and maintain a gap of at least two meters from them because this is a distance that's been shown a sneeze or a cough can travel. Tip number five, if you're not feeling well, stay at home. Even if it's something mild like the common cold, just stay at home and reduce the risk of spreading your virus to other people and keep your community safe. Tip number six, if you use a public workspace, let's say for example here, we all use different rooms all the time. So give it a quick wipe down, the area that you're going to be using to work. It can make a significant difference. Also, moving on to tip number seven, when you're eating meats, when you're eating eggs, make sure you're cooking them thoroughly. Another question many people have asked me is about the surgical face masks and if they can help. Well, I do know that virologists are skeptical about their effectiveness against airborne viruses. But there is some evidence to show that they do help prevent hand-to-mouth transition, which we spoke about earlier with regards to mucous membranes. However, routine surgical masks for airborne viruses are not really effective. The reason being that they are quite loose-fitting, they have no air filter, and also, they leave your eyes exposed. So remember the mucous membranes we spoke about earlier? That's an exposed area that infections can get into. So the best advice I can give everyone is to maintain the hygiene tips that we spoke about earlier. I really hope you find this video about coronavirus useful. Please remember that there is a lot of information that's false on social media about coronavirus. So please always use a reputable source of information for health knowledge, such as the NHS, Public Health England, WHO. I will leave links to all of these in the description below. I want the potential breakthrough treatment for coronavirus. The much-anticipated results of a large clinical trial showing the experimental drug remdesivir speeds up recovery. Dr. Anthony Fauci making the announcement at the White House. The dramatic improvements reported in some patients. Is this the hope so many have been waiting for? Also, the stay-at-home crackdown. Police breaking up a crowd of thousands gathered for a funeral. Tensions boiling over. And with 21 states moving out to reopen by the end of the week, how will social distancing be enforced? The critical medical procedures delayed by the virus, like cancer surgeries and transplants, when will they be able to resume? Also, the sister of that top ER doctor who took her own life after serving on the front lines, speaking out. She would not give up. She would not let it break her, which of course it did. Her message to everyone, plus free masks and one-way doors. We go inside an iconic American mall and the future of shopping. Major news in college sports, could players finally be allowed to cash in? And the inspiring moment, the first patient admitted to one of New York's hardest hit hospitals 53 days ago, finally going home. This is NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. Good evening, everyone. We start with the most encouraging news yet in the
race to develop an effective COVID-19 treatment. Tonight, doctors have a new weapon in their fight to save lives, an experimental drug fresh off human trials that, according to Dr. Anthony Fauci, has cut recovery times for extremely sick patients and will be the standard of care. The FDA expected to grant emergency approval of the drug, coming none too soon as COVID deaths in the U.S. today climbed above 60,000. And that's where our reporting begins tonight. First, Tom Costello. For doctors and nurses on the front lines, a new weapon in the fight against COVID-19, an antiviral medication proven effective in clinical trials. Dr. Fauci announced the breakthrough at the White House. The data shows that remdesivir has a clear-cut, significant, positive effect in diminishing the time to recovery. This is really quite important. The drug is remdesivir, made by Gilead Sciences. It comes in IV form, administered to the sickest COVID patients. The drug trials involved nearly 1,100 people worldwide. The preliminary NIH data showed remdesivir cut the recovery time in the hospital from 15 to 11 days. The mortality rate also dropped, though not dramatically, from 11.6% for those on the placebo to 8% for those on remdesivir. I narrowly avoided a ventilator. Arnold Wegg, himself a doctor, was given remdesivir in the ICU along with an anti-inflammatory drug, Actemra. He says he quickly began recovering. My personal experience with the remdesivir and the uh, Actemra make me feel very strongly that it should be used. This is uh, remdesivir versus placebo for one of our patients. Emory University Hospital in Atlanta ran the largest of the NIH clinical trials. Remdesivir will get many of our patients home to their families more rapidly and with less side effects. Remdesivir was originally designed to treat Ebola patients, but for seven years, researchers at Vanderbilt University have been convinced it could save lives in a new coronavirus pandemic. I'm very encouraged and I'm very optimistic, uh, particularly if we think of using this in patients as they have earlier disease and are progressing. Sickest you've ever sickest I've ever been, yes. In Philadelphia, Mike Dewan was on a ventilator for 17 days. Doctors gave him remdesivir as a last resort. Because he was so sick. And they were kind of thinking, we have nothing to lose. If it can help him, great. Because he was, you know, needing something. Tonight, the president is calling on the FDA to quickly approve remdesivir as a frontline go-to treatment. It can only be given an IV form in a hospital. The NIH findings are so far not peer-reviewed, but Gilead is ramping up production of the drug. Lester? All right, Tom Costello, thanks. Let's bring in Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He's the former commissioner of the FDA and a CNBC contributor. Doctor, you said today this isn't a home run, but you're encouraged. A lot of people, as you know, are looking for any sign of hope right now. What should they make of this? Well, I think this is an important beginning. This drug does appear to be active against the virus, and I think used properly in the course of probably early disease when people first present to the hospital, particularly patients who are at higher risk for a bad outcome, it does appear that this drug has the potential to benefit some patients. The drug clearly showed activity against the virus in this trial. This was a rigorously conducted trial, 
And I think as we head into the fall, when we're likely to face the risk of larger outbreaks of coronavirus after we get through this current epidemic, we're going to want to have a much more effective toolbox. And this drug can be part of that toolbox, coupled with better screening for the infection and maybe coupled with some additional drugs that could win approval sometime this fall. We might have a much better toolbox for dealing with COVID-19 that reduces the risk of the infection for most Americans. All right, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, thank you very much. Now. If you watch to the end of this video, you're going to learn how Ryan, who's a father of three from Idaho, makes over $20,000 a month using only a laptop and a cell phone. How does it work? He uses some hidden features on the Maps app on your phone. Most people don't know about these hidden features of their Maps app, but I want you to imagine if every time a tow truck made money, you made money too. Or if every time a local electrician got paid, you got paid too. Millions to some dramatic scenes of people defying orders to keep their distance and tonight the debate intensifying over how to enforce social distancing here's gabe gutierrez in the age of social distancing it was a shocking sight thousands of mourners in brooklyn at a rabbi's funeral you are putting my cops lives at risk and it's unacceptable new york city mayor bill de blasio says he's instructing the nypd to cite or arrest anyone who disobeys a social distancing order no it's not like people gathering in the park it was thousands of people more images are also surfacing of the homeless sleeping on new york's subway system the governor is now asking the transit authority to disinfect every train every night it's disrespectful to the essential workers who need to ride the subway system. From beaches in California to this house party in Chicago, local governments are struggling to crack down on social distancing orders. New York State recently raised the maximum fine to $1,000. Now some towns in Massachusetts are doing the same for face coverings. What authority do these cities have to really enforce social distancing? The most important authority that any community has is moral authority. Understanding that by distancing, not only are you protecting yourself, but others also. In many metro areas, walking down the sidewalk, it's tough to stay six feet away from anyone. So New York City is planning to close off at least 40 miles of streets to vehicles and free up more space for pedestrians. The death toll here at the epicenter is still topping 300 every day. Zoe Mungin was a beloved teacher in Brooklyn who died after a six-week battle with COVID-19. Her sister, a nurse herself, says she was denied a coronavirus test twice. They let her die. The healthcare system failed her. And I can't tell many times that I begged and pleaded and I asked for someone to save her life. A system stretched to its limits. Earlier this week, ER doctor Lorna Breen took her own life. Her sister is now speaking to Savannah Guthrie in an exclusive interview to air tomorrow on Today. She had 12-hour shifts. And uh, she, when she finished, she said, I can't leave. Nobody's leaving. I have to stay and help. She would not give up. She would not let it break her, which, of course, it did. Another agonizing reason, authorities say, for Americans to stay home. Gabe Gutierrez, NBC News, New York. I'm Miguel Almaguer. By the end of this week, one out of every three Americans, or roughly 116 million people, will see stay-at-home orders eased in their state. Texas and Florida among the largest, hoping to get their economies back on track. What is our biggest obstacle? Fear. Fear of the unknown. 
fear sparked by constant doom and gloom and hysteria that has permeated our culture. By Friday, at least 20 states will lift many mandates, though restrictions remain widely in place. In Montana, churches resume services, while restaurants and bars can soon serve customers if they keep diners apart. Ohio planning to allow construction and manufacturing to resume too. There is definitely a leap of faith in this that's that's a little bit scary. All the states set to reopen do share one thing in common. None have met the White House guidelines calling for a 14-day drop in coronavirus cases. When we take a step forward, we don't want to take two steps back. As states like California prepare to enter their seventh week in lockdown, new research tracking cell phone movements shows a national decline of Americans keeping their social distance. With Californians anxious to get out of the house, public spaces like parks and trails could reopen in a matter of weeks. But getting a haircut or going to a movie theater in downtown may not happen for months. In Colorado, the stay-at-home order just expired, but today restaurant owner Clay Maxwell is closing for good. This is not something we can bounce back from, which is what led you know, us a decision to close our doors. Tonight, one crisis creating another as Americans move into a new normal. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News, Los Angeles. All right, now to the nation's food supply and fallout from the president ordering meat plants to stay open as many of their workers fall ill and consumers could be hit by higher prices and fewer options. Here's Blaine Alexander. Tonight, a food supply chain strained by COVID-19. It was a uh, bottleneck caused by this whole uh, pandemic. Now, relief, the president says, in the form of his executive order invoking the Defense Production Act, ordering all meat plants to stay open, dubbing them critical infrastructure. More than a dozen forced to shut down as COVID-19 spread among employees. Now, President Trump says those companies will get liability protections. They were being very unfairly treated, very unfairly treated. So uh, the farmers are very happy and the ranchers and the, uh, the companies... Smithfield and Tyson Foods are praising the president's order, but many workers are not. I would really like to see them test everybody. Dustin Hibbs is back on the job after the JBS plant in Greenlee, Colorado, reopened following a coronavirus outbreak. I was working next to a guy and we kept bumping into each other. And like my first worry was, what if he has the virus? With more than 5,000 workers impacted by COVID-19, unions are demanding protections, including more testing. How much is a life worth as opposed to beef, pork, and chicken? That is a decision that we have to make because that worker makes it every day when they go to work. Now, new concerns about panic buying. Experts predict up to a month of lag time before the order makes an impact at the grocery store. Until then, some products may run low. We're going to see some empty shelves in, in the, the meat and poultry counters, whether it is, you know, a, a rack of ribs or if it is a bratwurst, or if it is a summer sausage. Meaning fewer selections, but the supply, experts say, is stable. Blaine Alexander, NBC News, Atlanta. And tonight, President Trump weighing in on those White House guidelines on stopping the spread of the virus a day before they expire. Kristen Welker is at the White House. 
With the White House social distancing guidelines set to expire tomorrow, President Trump says he is not planning to extend them. They'll be fading out because now the governors are doing it. But doing enough testing continues to be a hurdle to reopening. A new Harvard study shows the country needs 5 million tests a day to reopen safely. On Tuesday, President Trump told me the administration would meet that benchmark. So are you saying you're confident you can surpass 5 million tests per day? Is that... Well, we're going to be there very soon. But his own top official overseeing testing strategy told Time magazine in an interview released late last night, there is absolutely no way on Earth on this planet or any other planet that we can do 20 million tests a day or even 5 million tests a day. Today, the president tried to walk back his comments from yesterday. I didn't say it. I mean, I didn't say it, but somebody came out with a report saying 5 million. I think that was from the Harvard report. But we are going to be there at a certain point. We'll be there. Currently, just over 200,000 tests are performed a day. But the administration rolled out a plan this week to boost those numbers. Meantime, the president's son-in-law and top advisor, Jared Kushner, had this to say. The government, federal government, rose to the challenge, and this is a great success story. Uh, and, and I think that that's really, you know, what needs to be told. Those comments coming against the backdrop of a death toll now at more than 60,000. Kristen Welker, NBC News, the White House. We're back in 60 seconds with the news about hospitals finally starting to resume critical surgeries for everything from cancer to transplants. Also the big change in store as malls get set to reopen. In the U.S. economy growing louder tonight, shrinking nearly 5% in the first quarter, and that's the worst drop since the Great Recession. Among the hardest hit are retailers, and with dozens of malls about to reopen, Jolene Kent previews for us the dramatic changes in store. Tonight, the American economy is shrinking fast. Driving that is a plunge in consumer spending, plummeting more than it has since 1980. That is putting renewed pressure on retailers trying to stay in business. And that's why malls like Beverly Center are implementing new changes, hoping to bring customers back in and help them feel safe again. Once you're inside the mall, you can expect to see new decals on the floor to help you maintain your social distance from other shoppers. And you'll also have to maintain that social distance on escalators and in elevators. We also are going to move our furniture around so it's naturally distanced by six feet or maybe even more. At some malls, there will be specific doors for entering and exiting, as well as signs laying out which direction you should be walking in. Across eight states, dozens of outlets and malls will begin opening on Friday. Some of the changes you could see, hand sanitizer stations, face mask handouts, and voluntary temperature checks. Inside the stores themselves, floors will be marked to keep shoppers six feet apart. Common areas like food courts will have less seating. No more reusable items like trays, utensils, or cups. And no more communal water fountains or play areas. In bathrooms, every other sink could be taped off to encourage more space between people. There will be more deep cleaning of high traffic areas like this information desk and new measures to help keep employees safe. That's the fear of the unknown, but we have to tackle it together. We have to understand and be flexible when customers come back and be ready to do what we can to make them feel safe. On Monday, Starbucks will begin reopening more of its stores. Workers are going to be wearing masks and gloves and have their temperatures taken before each shift. But mostly it'll be to go and drive through only. No sitting inside just yet. Lester? Yeah, a lot of things to adjust to. All right, Jolene Kent, thank you. This was my phone before call. 
elective procedures, including cancer surgeries. Now several states are loosening restrictions, and not a moment too soon for patients in desperate need. Here's Katie Beck. Cindy Knight fears that her breast cancer is spreading. Diagnosed three months ago, doctors ordered a double mastectomy. I wanted it out, away, done as soon as possible, and that didn't happen. Her procedure scheduled in February, canceled by coronavirus restrictions because it's considered elective surgery. Not in her mind. It was worth to you risking a COVID-19 exposure to get this done. Yes, it was. Other than that, I'm relatively healthy. I could have possibly fought that battle, but I wasn't given the option of doing that. Just this week, many states across the country starting to allow elective surgery again in hospitals. Today, New York announced they'll start in facilities upstate. When you cancel elective surgeries, hospitals feel a financial pinch. New numbers reveal a devastating side effect of COVID-19 on hospitals. In the first quarter of the year, half of the loss in the nation's GDP came from the healthcare industry. In the month of March alone, 43,000 healthcare workers lost their jobs. Thousands of doctors and nurses furloughed by hospitals trying to cut costs to stay afloat. We had all the expenses of caring for COVID patients and we had no revenue coming in. President of the American Hospital Association, Rick Pollack, says many facilities face closure. Well, hospitals are facing perhaps the greatest financial crisis in their history. And doctors say there are desperate patients waiting to be treated and only getting worse. Let us be doctors. Let us make the decision as to what is necessary and what's not. Dr. Chad Domingue owns a hospital in rural Louisiana. Since the stop on surgeries, his facility is seeing about 5% of its previous number of patients. We're not talking about nose jobs. We're not talking about tummy tucks. We're talking about spine surgery. We're talking about heart stents. But as surgeries return, Knights is now rescheduled for next week. She fears plans could change. Oh, I'm very scared. I have two grandchildren, two daughters. Daughter's married, and I have a lot of life left in me. I'm not ready to leave yet. Healthcare facing new struggle while still battling a pandemic. Finally, the emotional send-off for a patient who survived his long, tough battle with coronavirus. Rodrigo Saval received a touching farewell today from staffers at New York's Mount Sinai West Hospital. Saval was the first coronavirus patient admitted to that hospital, one of the hardest hit in the city. Today, 53 days later, he finally got to go home. Rodrigo, you fill us with hope. That's Nightly News. I'm Lester Holt. Please take care of yourself and each other. Thank you very much, everyone. This is a great honor. And I see you have social distance on your mind. And uh, that's a very good thing, Jovita. Congratulations. Tremendous job you're doing. I want to uh, thank everyone for being at the White House, a very special house, a very special place, no matter where you go in the world. I love the White House. And uh, being here in the East Room of the White House in particular, where so many important functions have taken place over the years, and today we're really celebrating American workers and small businesses, and we've done a job for you, and we're going to make it so as we open up our country, you're going to be in good shape as opposed to be either losing your business or how do we get some people to work here, especially since your employees were so good over the years, and those are the ones you wanted. So we made that possible for you. We're delighted to be joined this afternoon by representatives of several 
incredible small businesses from across our country. Also with us are Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin. Steve, thank you very much. And SBA Administrator. You've been busy, Steve, by the way? A little bit, right? Broke every record in the book. And SBA Administrator Jovita Carranza. Thank you, Jovita. Have you gone to sleep in the last two weeks? I don't think so, right? You broke every single lending record, numbers of loans, amount of loans, small business. It's actually a very big business when you think about it. Thank you very much, Jovita. Great job. As our nation battles against this terrible scourge, we continue to pray for the victims as well as for those Americans who are grieving their lost ones and their loved ones. There's never been anything like this. We suffer with one heart, but we will prevail. We're coming back, and we're coming back strong. We built the greatest economy anywhere in the world two months ago, and we're going to build it again. We're going to build it fast. It's going to go very quickly. And Larry, thank you for being here very much. Uh, it's, uh, you see what's going to happen. I think you have the same feeling as I do. It's going to come back very fast. Now that our experts believe the worst days of the pandemic are behind us, Americans are looking forward to the safe and rapid reopening of our country. Throughout this ordeal, millions of hardworking Americans have been asked to really make tremendous, tremendous sacrifices. Sacrifices like nobody thought would even be possible. Nobody thought would ever be talking about something like this. This virus has inflicted an enormous and painful toll on our nation's workers and small businesses. That's why last month I asked Congress to pass the Paycheck Protection Program, giving small businesses emergency economic relief to keep workers on the payroll. Four weeks ago, I was proud to sign it into law. We did that at a great ceremony with many of the people here and the officials here, and uh, it was something. And I can tell you, I'm going to ask Steve to say a few words, but the, the kind of numbers and the kind of jobs they've done and the kind of jobs that have also been saved, it's uh, incredible. You'll be seeing that in the coming weeks. The Treasury Department and the Small Business Administration launched the program in record-breaking time just one week and in the 14 days following its launch we processed as many loans as the SBA would typically process in over 14 years so in 14 days they did more work and more loans both in terms of applications and in terms of uh, dollar amount than they did in 14 years 14 days 14 years easy one to remember right that's some record the first round of funding provided more than 1.6 million small businesses with over $340 billion so that American workers can retain their jobs, receive their paychecks, and help our economy take off quickly once America reopens for business, which is happening right now as we sit. We're going to be all set. You all ready? I, I, can, I know you are. I talked to you back there. You're ready. You folks are ready. Our swift action supported or saved 30 million American jobs at least. And last week, Congress answered our call to replenish the program, and I was honored to sign an additional $320 billion for American workers into law. At least $60 billion are reserved for community financial institutions, including those that serve minority and distressed communities. And that's also, when you think it's African-American communities, it's Hispanic-American communities, it's Asian-American communities. 
We began accepting applications for the second round of funding yesterday. Demand is extraordinarily high, and there are already twice as many users accessing the system as on any day under the first round. And one of the things that the Secretary of the Treasury told me is that the amounts are much more loans at much smaller amounts. And we like to hear that because we're looking at the small amounts, the smaller businesses, and that's what we want. Nonetheless, we're processing loans at a pace never achieved before in the first 24 hours of the second round of funding. We've handled over 30% more loans than any previous day of the program. So far, we've processed an amazing 450,000 loans totaling over $50 billion. That's in phase two. That's incredible. Along with Administrator Carranza and Secretary Mnuchin, Ivanka has played an essential role in spearheading this important program, incredible role. That's what she wants to do. She wants to help people. From the beginning of my administration, Ivanka has used her experience as an entrepreneur to fight for the American worker. She's created many jobs. That's what she did when she first came in. She just wanted people to be able to get jobs and job training. Went to the biggest companies anywhere in the world that are located in our country, and they would take hundreds of thousands of people and train them. And I think you got up to almost 15 million people, right? 15 million. She started off with a goal of 500,000. She wanted to get 500,000, and she uh, is now on uh, almost 15 million people. And I'd like to ask uh, if I might, Ivanka, to say a few words as to uh, what's exactly happening today, what's, exa what's happening over the next week, and uh, what her views are for what's going to happen over the next period of time. It's going to be something I think is going to be very special and bigger and uh, better than anybody really understands. Let's see if I'm right about that. Ivanka, please. We owe it to them to support them every way possible. You and I have talked many times about the PPEs and the basic protections, but we also owe it to them to be safe on the way to work, on the way back home to their families. So I think what we're doing here in partnership is exactly the right thing to say. We're going to find a way to make our subway system cleaner than it's probably ever been in its history, honestly. And address this crisis in a whole new way. I agree with that and I commend you for it. And yeah, it took some disruption to say we're going to do something during this pandemic we've never done before, but it makes sense when it comes to protecting our heroes. The second point, homelessness. Look, another issue you and I governed on decades. Well, we know it's been in many ways an intractable issue because there wasn't always an impulse to disrupt. And here is an example of saying, look, we now have found new ways to get street homeless people off the street. And I want to commend uh, Commissioner Dermot Shea and everyone at the NYPD who's really focused on how to help the homeless. Commissioner Steve Banks, everyone at Homeless Services and Social Services, and all those, also those heroic outreach workers. Uh, Governor, you know about this work, who go out there day after day to engage homeless people on the streets and the subway get their trust and get them to come in to shelter and ultimately to permanent housing. This work has always been in some ways stymied by the reality of a homeless person who is struggling with everything they're dealing with, a mental health challenge, a substance abuse challenge, riding the subway all night long. We're New Yorkers. We know about this reality. And it's been put in a stark light by this crisis, like so many other challenges and disparities have. Well, it's an unacceptable reality. 
And this new plan will disrupt that unacceptable reality and allow us to actually get help to people more effectively. Because if you're not going back and forth all night on a train, then you actually are coming above ground where outreach workers are there to help you, where NYPD officers trained in homeless outreach are there to support homeless people and get them to a better situation. A governor, you know, for decades in this city, somehow a homeless encampments were actually tolerated. People thought, oh, it's the kind of thing, what can we do about that? I'm proud to say in the last few years, uh, Homeless Services, NYPD, uh, nonprofit organizations, we got together and we said, we're not allowing that anymore. We shut them down and we found it actually helped us to get the homeless to the help they need. This is another example of that. So I want to let you know that uh, as we all talked about this idea, and I commend you, your team in Albany, and obviously uh, the team at the MTA, Pat Foy, Sarah Feinberg, it's been a very productive conversation these last few days. And what I think we've come to together is that, yeah, we're going to do something unprecedented. We're going to do something because of an emergency. But we're also going to do something that's going to protect people and offer a new way to get people help who never got enough. And so, Governor, thank you. Uh, I think this is a partnership. You're right. It's not going to be easy. No one said it was going to be easy. But you have my full commitment, the commitment of the city, the commitment of the NYPD and all of our agencies. We're going to make this work together. And we're going to be able to look back and say, we did something that actually changed people's lives for the better. And as long as it takes, we're going to stand with you and get this done. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mayor de Blasio. Mayor made a lot of good points. You're right, Bill. Nobody nobody ever said it was going to be easy. But nobody ever said it was going to be this hard either. Uh, And I think the mayor's point is very well taken. Look. We're doing things all across the board here that have never been done before. And I think there are lessons to learn and lessons we'll take with us. Telemedicine, I think, is a lesson we'll take with us. Teleeducation, remote learning is a lesson we'll take with us. Uh, A new public health system is a lesson that we'll take with us. Uh, And I think we're going to improve and learn from this experience with the New York City transit system. Because the truth is, it wasn't working well. So we had a lot of things going. So, so that's through April 30th. Uh, I've worked with the White House on kind of going to phase one. I'm going to make an announcement tomorrow. But I think that for Florida, going from where we are now to phase one is not a very uh, a big leap. I think that you know, we'll be able to be a small step for us. But we're going to approach it in a very measured, thoughtful, and data-driven way. And I think that that's, that's what most of the folks uh, throughout the state are looking for. So, Ron, you, so, the, so, so you won't John, be doing what they did in Georgia. Ron saw the empty roads. And he was telling me before, it was fascinating. He saw the empty roads all over Florida from doing this, where they're staying at home. And he said, this is a great time to build roads. This is a great time to fix bridges. They were fixing bridges down there where normally there'd be a traffic nightmare, and they're fixing bridges, and there's hardly any traffic. Yeah, so they, we've been able to accelerate key projects uh, by as much as two months. And so when, as people get back into the swing of things, and this is going to be a gradual process, you're going to end up having reduced congestion probably more than we've ever done in such a short period of time. So I think it was taking advantage of an opportunity. Uh, so do more tests than demand. Is that the norm in this country, do you think? 
Uh, it's uh, true in other places. It's uh, definitely true with Iran. It uh, seems to be true where the governors have done the proper job using us and utilizing the services that we provide. But uh, it is also true in certain other locations. I would, I would say, just so, just so people don't get the misimpression, you know, we have seven sites in major areas in our state. We have more capacity than we get. These walk-up sites, though, have gone into areas that were underserved. You do have demand there. And so I think what, so we, we definitely have enough supplies and everything, but I think the key is going to be finding pockets that maybe we're not testing as much. I mean, obviously, we've got testing everywhere in Miami because they have the most cases. We have testing in, in other parts. Um, so I think this walk-up site is going to make, give us some confidence that we're going into places that may have been overlooked and giving people easy access. I also just recently uh, got or suspended any regulations that would prevent licensed pharmacists from administering tests. So CVS and Walmart, you're hopefully, and I think they're interested in doing this, or Walgreens, you could actually maybe go in there and the licensed pharmacist will be able to test you. That's going to be very convenient for an awful lot of people. Mr. President, overall, South Korea has done five times more tests than the U.S. per capita. Why is that? I don't think that's true. Uh, that is true. And you said this morning that the White House said the U.S. passes South Korea in virus true. testing. Who are you with? Uh, Yahoo News. And it's not true per capita. Uh, do you want to respond to that, do you, if you have the numbers? Sure, I have the numbers. So remember early on, we pushed test to the outbreak areas, just like he described. His primary outbreak was in Miami-Dade and Broward County and Palm Beach, so they pushed test into that region. We did the same thing in the United States. So if you look at every single state that had an outbreak, their testing is greater than anywhere in the world. They're in the four per, you know, 42 per thousand range. Your, your point is taken about um, individual areas, but overall we've had 14 times more infections than South Korea. So are we doing something wrong and why is that? They have a very dense population. Yeah, our epidemic looks much more like the European epidemic. So right now we're tracking very close to the countries in Europe and we're testing at their rate of, of their concentrated epidemics and where they're occurring in the metros. I think it really shows the susceptibility of our major cities in the same way they were susceptible in Europe. And so we've been very focused on that. That's not to say so that we're not supporting the rural states. We're very much supporting the rural states and very much supporting their testing. There's no, there's no state right now in the United States that's tested really less than 1%, which is pretty remarkable when they don't really have significant cases. But we've been really working with states to do sentinel surveillance and also to reach out to our Native American populations as well as our inner city. So I think now that we've expanded testing dramatically and CDC has altered the criteria, for testing. I think you'll see as, as governors have unlocked more and more potential in their laboratories, we know that we have more laboratory capacity. And you hear the governors talk about we have capacity and now we have to match um, things, you know, the resources that you need, the swabs and the extraction media with the capacity. And I think governors are well aware of how to expand testing now. And so we're in that partnership. That's what was announced yesterday. We want testing linked to critical... Hey. I want to show you something. Go ahead and skip this video if you've never wondered if someone is lying to you or not. When I was dating my last girlfriend, I wish I had known about this. This website lets you find out the truth about anyone instantly just by searching their name. Hidden profiles on dating websites, text messages, and a ton more contact tracing, but we also want testing as he described. The governor described a really important insight. He went where the virus could cause the most damage to human beings. 
And so he went into the nursing homes to really proactively test. And, and that's, that's true really also in throughout our, the country. Yes, and that's true. In our, that's why it's in the blueprint. And I think some of the press didn't hear how much we were emphasizing the asymptomatic testing. We believe that's a critical part of this. So you can't approach this like you've just traditionally approached flu. And you have to be more innovative. And we've been in really a strong partnership with the governors. And I think that's why the blueprint was so important, because it talked about symptomatic testing and asymptomatic testing to protect the most vulnerable individuals. And you can see what it did with the nursing home fatality rates. Well, especially with the asymptomatic uh, in a nursing home situation, if that starts getting out, man, that is a perfect environment for this virus to just start spreading. I mean, it can spread like wildfire very quickly. So that's why you're, that's why you're trying to do why, why all this stuff. So. It sounds like that you are planning to announce tomorrow that you're likely to go to the, to the president's. So we're going to make an announcement tomorrow. You know, I, I created a task force, and uh, I have all kinds of folks. We have all some of the great health systems. We have great docs. I've got business folks. I've got elected officials. They've submitted a report to me. I'm going to be reviewing that today. Obviously, we've been thinking about what we're going to need to do, and so so we'll announce it uh, tomorrow uh, about the next step forward for Florida. But I'll just wait to announce it then. Governor, you said we have flights coming from Latin America to Miami, and we see uh, an increase in cases in Latin America and South America. Aren't you worried to see those? Oh, I've been worried about that the whole time. I mean, I think that Brazil and some of those places Places which have a lot of interaction with Miami, you're going to probably see the epidemic increase there as their season changes. And so we could potentially have, we could be uh, way on the other side doing well in Florida, and then you could just have people kind of come in. So uh, one of the things I've mentioned to the president is, you know, you have this Abbott Labs test. If you have some of these international flights, maybe some of these airliners should, should, it should be on them to check before they're getting on and coming to this country so that we're able to keep it. I mean, you've seen what happened with the China flight restrictions. That kept a lot of people from seeding the West Coast more. And so if we're in a situation you could potentially have from hotspots coming in, I think we were technologically more advanced where there should be something uh, like that. So I, I've been advocating for that. I've talked with uh, some other governors about it. But for Florida, clearly, that's going to be an issue. You look at be cutting off Brazil. I mean, you're going to... Well, not necessarily cut them off, but it's just if, if you're going to fly to Miami, then the airline should give you the Abbott test and then put you on the plane. But Would you, you ever want to ban certain countries if they're if if they were seeding the united states i think you'll you let us know you'll be sure. watching and you'll let us know but i would say in the united states or in florida excuse me in spite of all the international travel i mean we have so many people that go to orlando miami and all that um if you look at our outbreak not a lot of it is tied to that. It's mostly tied to New York City travel, the end of the three Southern Florida, because the Orlando situation is worlds different than Palm Beach and Broward and Miami-Dade, but yet they have as much international travel as anybody. And yet, as of this morning, I think Orlando had uh, 50 people hospitalized in that whole area for COVID-19. I mean, people were predicting there were going to be hundreds of thousands hospitalized in Florida by this time. So, so they've had a, a really modest outbreak, Southeast Florida. I mean, still by some of these other standards, not, not as bad as other parts of the country. But that was really a more of a domestic seating, I think, than international. Well, we're going to be in touch on that. Go ahead. Why not then uh, require that people take tests before they take international flights? And why not even require that people wear masks so on planes? We're that, and we're probably going to be doing that. Brazil has pretty much of an outbreak, as you know. Uh, uh, they also went a different way than other countries in South America. If you look at the chart, you'll see what happened. 
unfortunately, to Brazil. So we're looking at it very closely, and we're in coordination with other governors also, but in particular with Ron. We'll make that decision pretty soon. But what about all looking flights, what? all international flights? Well, we're looking at that. That's a very big thing to do. You know, again, so I did it with China. Me. I did it with Europe. Uh, that's a very big thing to do. It's certainly a very big thing to do to Florida because you have so much business from South America. I mean, I mean, so we'll be we'll be looking at that. So to our Yahoo gentlemen, I just want to make it clear that um, South Korea's testing was 11 per per 100,000, and we're at 17 per 100,000. So are you going to apologize, Yahoo? That's why you're Yahoo, and nobody knows who that you are. Go ahead. Just to clarify what you were just talking about, you're looking at cutting off more international travel from Latin America? No, we're, looking, we're talking to the governor. We're talking with others also that have a lot of business coming in from South America, Latin America, and we'll make a determination. Uh, we're also uh, setting up uh, a system where we do some testing and we're working with the airlines on that. Test testing on the plane, getting on the plane. Uh, it'll be both. I decided to invest in myself and go to culinary school because I need that, that backing. You know, anybody can say they're a chef. As far as the management portion, that's really where Escoffier is really helping me learn how to actually run a restaurant, run a cafe, or run a... On one day. Today, we'll have another 4,681 people. So just think of the scale of the operation. Last week, we announced that Michael Bloomberg would lead the first ever testing, tracing, isolation program. Figure out how many people, how to train them, what technology, how do we do this? Uh, and it's of a scale never been done before. And by the way, we need it tomorrow. There is no time to go get a university to do a study and a, a blueprint and then uh, put a plan together. We need it tomorrow because we're literally doing it right now. We're doing the testing. We're coming up to scale on the testing. You need the tracing to come up to scale to meet what we're doing on testing. The estimate so far is you need 30 contact tracers for every 100,000 people who are in the affected area. Statewide, that would be about 6,400 to 17,000 tracers, depending on what happens on the testing rate. The more people test positive, the more tracers. The less people test positive, the less tracers you need. So these things are all linked, right? The better you do at reducing the spread of the virus, the fewer people test positive and the fewest, fewer people you need to trace back. But it will require, under any estimate, a tracing army to come up to scale very, very quickly. Uh, and Mayor Bloomberg has put together a great team who's going to work on this. He has great talent in his uh, Bloomberg philanthropy. Johns Hopkins University, working together with the New York State Department of Health. This is that undertaking, and it is massive, and that's why uh, bringing in a person with the talent of Mayor Bloomberg and the experience of Mayor Bloomberg to do this is essential. Where do you get the Army? Well, we have Department of Health employees all across the state, 
counties have them, cities have them, the state has them, will marshal those employees. You also have a lot of government employees who are at home now getting paid but are not working. What government employees who are now existing, city, state, county, can we deploy to become tracers and then train them, etc. After you go through all of that, if you don't have enough, you're going to have to hire people. Uh, and then you have to train them right away because nobody's done this before. They're going to need help. They're going to need technology. They're going to need monitoring. They're going to have to be tested before they can do this. So it's a massive undertaking. And that's why uh, Mayor Bloomberg's involvement and his generosity here is so important. And uh, we want to offer a big thank you to Mayor Mike Bloomberg, who I believe uh, may be joining us by telephone or some technological means. There he is. How are you, Mayor Mike? I'm here. Good uh, to Governor, see you. I'm fine. Uh, and good, good, good to see you. And I want to thank you for all your good work to lead this great state through this crisis and to deliver facts and data to the public and also a sense of hope, which really is important. I know your daily press conferences have become must-see TV for a lot of people. And for your record, for the record, I thought your advice to fathers on what to say about a daughter's boyfriend was exactly right the other day. Anyways, the question on everybody's mind continues to be, how can we begin to loosen these restrictions and begin reopening the economy? And one of the most important steps to taking, we have to take to reopen the economy as safely as possible is to create a system of contact tracing, as you just outlined. When social distancing is relaxed, contact, contact tracing is our best hope for isolating the virus when it appears and keeping it isolated. Uh, the governor has recognized that, and since Bloomberg Philanthropies has deep experience and expertise in public health, we're glad to support the state in developing and implementing a contact tracing program. As Andrew said, the contract contact tracing is a way to identify people who may have been exposed to the virus but don't know it. And during, doing that requires a lot of well-trained people who are coordinated and managed effectively. It is a very big undertaking just because of the scale. So we've enlisted the best public health school in the world at Johns Hopkins University. No offense, but it's named the Bloomberg School of Public Health, which our foundation works very closely with on, with on public health and other issues. And we've also teamed up with the nonprofit organization's vital strategies and resolve to save lives. Now, get the contract tracing program up and running a lot has to happen first, and hiring, training, deploying and managing a small army of New Yorkers, as the governor said, is really the great challenge. To help the state recruit contact tracers, we brought in a staffing organization. And we're also teamed up with CUNY and SUNY, both of which will help identify potential job applicants. And I want to thank both of them for their work in joining us. To help the state with training, Johns Hopkins has developed a training class which can be taken remotely. It will cover all the basic information of epidemics, contact tracing, and privacy. There's also a test at the end of the training. 
which you have to pass in order to be hired. So we're not going to put up people there that don't know what they're doing. We'll also put technology to use in other ways. Vital Strategies is developing three new smartphone apps. The first will help contact tracers find information and data quickly. The second will help the public provide information to health departments. And the third will allow those in quarantine to access the guidance and services they need, including the ability to report any symptoms they may be experiencing. Vital Strategies is also working directly with the state to develop protocols and workflow materials for contract tracers and managers. That includes a comprehensive playbook that will detail the steps needed to do contact tracing effectively. And I want to make it clear, we will release that playbook publicly so cities and states around the country can use it and so can nations around the world. That way, the work we do here in New York really can help fight the virus globally. We'll also bring in a group of outside experts to conduct an evaluation of the program so that other states and countries can see what worked well and identify areas they can improve on. And we'll learn as we go and make adjustments and share what we've learned. Sharing and spreading best practices is something that Bloomberg Philanthropies works on with cities around the world. In about an hour, I'll be getting on a call with mayors around the country, which is a call we hold every week. It's been a good way to share information and strategies. And I know all of the mayors are following the news of the contract tracing program that we are starting here and that other states have also begun the process of starting. Now, before I turn it back over to the governor, let me just echo something that he has said repeatedly and that really is important to remember. As tough as these times are, we are New Yorkers and we've been through a lot together. And we're going to get through this together again. So, Governor, back to you, and thank you for everything you're doing. Together, we're going to lick this and get back to a normal life that we can, and we are so proud of the way the citizens of this state are behaving. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much to uh, Mayor Bloomberg. This is uh, such a great asset for the state of New York and all the people in it. Uh, this is a monumental undertaking. You know, so many of these things that we talk about just never existed before. Testing of this magnitude, contact, tracing uh, of this magnitude, it's never existed. So we have to design new systems, new approaches uh, to do this. And this problem is bigger than any one of us, but it is not bigger than all of us. And uh, using the expertise and the talent that we have, we get everyone to work together here. Uh, we will do this. And the mayor is exactly right. New York, uh, New York, he says as a New Yorker, in many cases, we've dealt with challenges first. We figure it out. And then we work with other places to actually learn from what we've done. I think this is going to be one of those examples. We want the best system that we can have to get New York open and to protect New Yorkers. But it will also be a laboratory to put together the best system ever put together so we can share that with other governments. And that's what uh, Mayor Bloomberg does so well. Uh, he did as mayor and he does it uh, now uh, through his philanthropy. So. 
We'll develop the best system here, and then what we learn, we hope, can benefit other people. We'll also be coordinating this contact tracing on a tri-state basis, uh, because many of the people who come into New York, live in Connecticut, live in New Jersey, go back and forth. Uh, we don't want to get limited by jurisdictions when you're doing this contact tracing. Somebody turns, turns out uh, you have a trace that takes you to a person in New Jersey. Well, we work in New York. We can't go to New Jersey. Having that tri-state alliance makes uh, tremendous sense. Uh, so I'm working with Governor Murphy and Governor Lamont on that. And I want to thank them very much. Next problem. Stone to stone across the morass, right? Problem to problem across the morass. In this situation, every day, there's a new problem that pops up. Okay. Let's, let's handle it. Next problem. In an emergency crisis situation... What happens is problems compound, right? Uh, you're in the middle of a hurricane. The power lines go down. Now the power lines go down. Now the heat is off. Heat is off. Now people are freezing in their homes. We didn't anticipate that. I know, but that's what happens. One problem creates another problem. It's like a bad game of dominoes and these problems compound each other and the combination is often unforeseen we have that now with the new york city subway system uh daily news did a front page story which crystallized it but it had been happening for weeks and no one anticipated it but you have a virus outbreak, uh, and this conditions on the New York City subway system, for a variety of reasons, have rapidly deteriorated. When you think about what happened, you can put it together in the retrospective. The COVID outbreak happens. New York City is a place of density. Subways, buses are a place of density. MTA employees who run that system, care for that system, get sick, call in sick, as they should. They don't want to infect other people. The number of MTA employees comes down. Number of NYPD, New York Police Department, they get sick, their numbers come down. You now have fewer MTA workers, you have fewer uh, NYPD workers on the trains and in the stations. Uh, we have now a greater need than ever to disinfect the subways, the buses, and the stations. Why? Because you're in the middle of a pandemic. This is a place of density. And you have uh, thousands and thousands of people going through these subway stations, these turnstiles, and these buses uh, trains and ADA vehicles. Because MTA workers are sick, NYPD uh, officers are sick, you have fewer people to monitor and maintain the system. And this all happens in the midst of a public health emergency. Uh, at the same time, you have more homeless people who now 
are on fewer trains and you have fewer people to outreach to the homeless people. So now you, you put all of this together. And then at the same time, we need our essential workers to go to work. I said the other day, I had two great nightmares from day one. Nightmare one, you did everything you did, closed down, etc., and you didn't stop the rate of increase of the virus. That would have been a nightmare. Can you imagine if we did all of this and we still saw that virus going up? That would have been a real problem. Second nightmare, the essential workers say, I'm not going to work. I'm not going. The transit operators, the police, the food delivery people say it's too dangerous. I'm not going. I'm staying home too. You don't have food. You don't have power. You don't have transportation. You don't have electric. Now you see society in a really difficult situation. So we need those essential workers to go to work. I am pushing every day to get our essential workers to go to work, even though they see a lot of their colleagues getting ill. You need those nurses. You need those doctors uh, in very difficult circumstances. That's why I say they are the heroes of today, all the essential workers. How do our essential workers get to work? They need the public transit system. It's true in New York City. It's true all across the state. They need the buses, they need the trains, they need the subways to get to work. We need them, they need the buses, and they need the subways. And we are as a society, me as a spokesperson for the state, I'm saying to them every day, I need you to do this. I know it's hard, but I need you to do it. Okay, we need them to do it, but what is our obligation? Our obligation is to make sure we're doing everything we can do to keep them safe, right? That's my personal obligation, and it's the collective obligation. You want them to be there to deliver the food. What's your obligation is to do everything you're doing, you can do to make sure that they are safe while they're doing it. The MTA understood where we were with this global pandemic. They stepped up operations and were cleaning trains and buses every 72 hours which is an amazing undertaking when you think about it, uh, to clean all those buses and trains every 72 hours. But we know the virus can live for hours or even days on a surface, which means if somebody positive walks onto a train this morning, that virus can be there tomorrow and the next day. That then changes the whole focus of the problem. You want to honor the essential workers. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We'll fly airplanes. We'll have uh, uh, public demonstrations of gratitude. Yeah. Even better than that is what you do and how you act. And let's make sure that we're doing everything we can. Let's clean, disinfect those trucks, those buses and trains every 24 hours. Why? Because that's the way we best protect the health of our essential workers. Which makes sense if you want the essential workers to continue to come to work. It makes sense if you don't want the infection rate to go up in your society. 
It makes sense if you don't want the essential workers to get sick. And again, it is our obligation as human beings uh, to reciprocate and make sure we're doing everything we can. Now, to say disinfect every train every 24 hours is uh, just a task that nobody has ever imagined before, okay? I would wager in the history of public transportation in this nation, you never had a challenge of disinfecting every train every 24 hours. Disinfect, how do you even disinfect a train? You know, we clean trains, but how do you disinfect? This is a whole new process. These are new chemicals. These are, this is new equipment for workers. It's new methods. Just think about it. You have to disinfect every place that a hand could touch on a subway car. Every rail, every pole, every door, wherever a hand could touch, or coughing, sneezing, wherever droplets could land, right? So you have to disinfect that entire uh, interior of the car. And then you have to disinfect the stations, the handrails, everything that people could be touching. It is a massive undertaking that we've never done before. But that is the right thing to do. That is, as we said, we've never done tracing before. We've never done disinfecting train cars before. But so what? That's what we have to do. So figure out. No, it's about growth. It's about growth. We're going to be in great shape because we're growing. And we could have done it the other way. You don't spend anything and you're flat for years. You know, there, there are ways of looking at it. We, you have to throw money at it. But we're throwing money at the people that lost their job unfairly. You saw some of the people yesterday in the White House where they were, they were down and out, and we came along and helped them. So we could have been flat for a long time as a country, or we could grow. I think you're going to see tremendous growth. It's a stimulus, and it's, it's, a, it's a great stimulus. Now they want more stimulus, uh, and they're pushing for things, though, but uh, I don't know that we should be working with states that have been suffering for uh, through bad leadership or bad management for 25 years, and I'm, we're supposed to fix that. So we're going to have to talk about that. Mr. President, Maybe I, they should have brought that up sooner. Uh, Captain Crozier, would you like to see him returned? Uh, yes. I think he's a, I, I don't know him. I've never spoken to him. I think he's a very, very good man uh, who had a very bad day. And then he wanted to be Ernest Hemingway. You know, he starts writing long memos. You can't do that when you're a captain of a ship. Especially that ship, that's the, that's the ultimate nuclear aircraft carrier, the best in the world, 5,000 crew members, and uh, he decides to become Ernest Hemingway. You can't do that. You can't do that. With that being said, I, I said, he just had, he had a bad day. We all have bad days. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to comment, but I have my feelings on it. And I just think he's a very good man who had a bad, and I think the acting secretary is a very good man also. And he had a bad day. They both had bad days. You want to know the truth? They both had bad days. And that can happen. Uh, they were under a lot of pressure because it went very public. 
And uh, so they'll be uh, seeing me at a certain point. But I think he's a very good man. I think they're both very good men. But, you know, when you talk about spreading, so it started with two people, then it went to 12 people, then it went to... I got a report yesterday, it was 851 people. Now, they have 5,000 people. So it starts with a little group. And then a few, a few weeks later, how long is that? Four weeks. 800 and some odd people. And... Uh, they're sailors, they're young, they're, there is one death, as you know, there's one death, there's about 10 people in the hospital right now, but they'll be, we expect all, all to get better, but there is one death out of it, but uh, that spread like wildfire, right, think of that, you know, it was 2 and 12, but then you, we thought it ended at 41, you didn't think so. I don't no. think you thought so, right? It, 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 just the right environment for spread like yeah. that. It, it, was a, it was a tough environment. Mr. President, on testing yesterday, you said that we will very soon be testing 5 million people. Well, I don't know where it came million. up. Yeah. You said that. I, I'd like to refer to these two people because I don't know where it came up. Everyone kept saying, you said there'd be 5. That was a study that came out. Somebody came out with a study of 5 million people. Do I think we will? I think we will, but I never said it. We're testing millions of people. We're testing more people than anywhere, any country in the world by far, by double, by much more than double, more than everybody else combined we're testing. But somebody started throwing around five million. I didn't say five million. Somebody said five million. I think it might have been the Harvard report. There was a report from Harvard, and they said five million. Well, we will be there, but I didn't say it. I mean, I, I didn't say it, but somebody came out with a report saying five million. It sounds like a lot. Yesterday, I looked at Deborah. I said, what's with the five million? I think that was from the Harvard report. This was my phone before call, Joy. This is my phone now. Thanks for calling Leo's Plumbing. But we are going to be there at a certain point. We'll be there, but we're... We're more advanced than any country in the world on testing. And not only that, the testing is the best test. Not only the most. We've not only done the most. Even when you look at so many people, they love the Abbott Laboratories test. You might have had it. Did you have it today? Yes, sir, I did. He's Thank okay. You. you got a test out of this deal. <laughs> I did. But everybody comes in and they give them the test. In five minutes they know they're okay or they're not okay. So far we haven't found anyone not okay. But uh, it's a great test. But we, that was not even... Nobody even thought of that two months ago or three months ago. You know, that was developed over a very short period of time. Brilliantly developed by Abbott. So, uh, no, we'll be at whatever number it is, but we're so far advanced over an end. And, you know, it would be really good if the press would give credit for it to the people that have done such a good job because they're always saying, well, you know, you're doing millions, but what about five million? I'm saying, where did that number come? I keep asking, where does it come from? I really learned this morning, I think it was probably the Harvard... Uh, said that that would be nice, and sure it would be nice, and we'll be there, but but again, we didn't say it. Who said it is a report. We have other reports talking about a much lower number, but we're doing better than anybody in the world by far. The people that have worked on it have been incredible, and, uh, you know, John Bell is testament to it. Testing is one of the 
great reasons that you've been successful in Louisiana. Yes, sir. With a lot of help uh, from, from our federal partners. And the best news that we got as a state, quite frankly, and all states got it, was on Monday when Admiral Girard said that our plans had all been received last Wednesday and they were going to be able to resource the testing kits. Yeah. So I don't know about $5 million for the country, but Louisiana is going to do our part with 200000 per month. And I think if you extrapolate that out, that comes close to five yeah. million. I don't, I don't Pretty know, much. But yeah. I don't know what time period you're talking about. Admiral Girard said to Time Magazine that five million tests per day is simply not possible. Do you agree with that? So what we have talked about and what was in the blueprint um, in talking with states, and you can see, I mean, this is Louisiana's curve. They got to this curve of mitigation and containment across the state with about um, 26,000 tests per million or about um, 26, yeah, 26,000 tests per million, so million of their population. So. These tests, and I've been very clear about it, these are RNA tests, which means you take the virus out of there, your nose, you've got to crack the virus open, extract out the RNA, amplify the RNA, and then get an answer. And you can see that's happening inside a machine. Sometimes um, lab directors and lab technicians have to, have to physically mix all of those reagents. That's when you hear about extraction reagents and why they're needed. And so what, what we had in the blueprint is really a call to action to really work on developing antigen tests like we use for flu. Because when you're using an antigen test in a doctor's office, then you can get to potentially that number. I'm not sure we need that number. I don't want to validate that number. But I'm saying is with this current test and the complication of how it has to be run, that's not physically possible. And I think that's what Admiral Gerard was speaking to. But we've, as we talked about ID now, we continue to develop more testing in different platforms. But I think we do need that kind of new breakthrough to a new technique, a new measurement to get to the kind of numbers that Harvard's talking about. But I think we've made it clear all along that states have controlled and mitigated with the current number. And as you heard from the governor, he didn't shut everything down. There was still, he has a curve like this with still a significant number of Louisianans working. So I think what every governor is working on is how do I get the most people I can back to work and still maintain high level of safety? And I think what's the roadmap and the criteria and the testing come together to create that? This will not be a testing alone piece. And as you just heard about the Roosevelt, and I bring this up every time, this asymptomatic spread will be important. And we just heard about 800 cases. 10 or less than 10 in the hospital or 10 to 15 in the hospital. 800, 10 or 15 in the hospital. If you're only diagnosing symptomatic cases, you may be missing a large part of the spread. And I think that's why strategically using testing in a new way, a monitoring way, a monitoring way to proactively find asymptomatic individuals, particularly when they surround our most vulnerable groups, whether it's Native Americans or long-term care facilities, we want governors to simultaneously work on finding the cases, as they did so superbly, and then work on a proactive measurement to find the asymptomatic cases. And I think those two pieces have to come together. And I think that's what's in the blueprint. That's what we're having the calls with the states with, um, and really see how do we effectively use our current testing capacity to ensure we're both monitoring and diagnosing. And you know what's interesting about that number is that uh, I remember when we did a million, we said, we just did a million. 
And the media said, oh, when are you going to do two million? I said, soon, pretty soon. Then we do two million. And then they said, when are you going to do five million? In other words, it's sort of a setup. Because no matter what, and by the way, when we hit five million, when are we going to hit 10 million? It's a little bit of a trap. You know, it's called the media trap. It pertains to me. It doesn't pertain to other people, but it's what I've had to experience for five years. Well, I don't know. I heard the five million is totally unnecessary. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to hit it pretty easily. But I, I, again, I think it's a media trap. I think the number, um, you know, I, I've just all I know is this. President Moon of South Korea, because we've heard a lot of good things about South Korea, have good relationship. He called me to congratulate me on the testing. He said, your testing is the greatest in the world. How did this happen? I kept hearing about South Korea, South Korea. And he said, I want to just tell you that what you've done with testing is incredible. Okay, so our people should be congratulated. And what they'll do is no matter what, if we test as they say, 325 million people, they're going to say, when are you going to test them twice? Okay? So, you know, it's a trap. It's really a media trap, but but that's okay. Look, we are better than anybody in the world on testing. We have tested more than anybody in the world, and we have the best tests in the world. And that's been all developed over the last couple of months because we started off with nothing. We had nothing. We had absolutely nothing. Uh, and that included ventilators, and that included, uh, I always say the cupboards were bare. Uh, they were bare in the military, and they were bare medically in terms of pandemics or epidemics or whatever you want to call it. So uh, our people have done an incredible job. Yeah. Mr. President, concerning WHO, do you think that China is playing a better game in terms of soft power? Say it again. Uh, do you think that China is playing a better game in terms of influence soft power? in the WHO? Well, they've been doing it for years, and they play the game, and I guess we've had people over the years that never really focused on that game. You know, who would think you'd have to play the game? Uh, and it's, to a large extent, public relations, you know, public relations or whatever. Uh, but China's not to be congratulated for what happened just so you understand it. They're not to be congratulated for what took place. And WHO is essentially congratulating them. And when they start doing that, we've got problems. And again, the United States pays almost 500 million and they pay 38 million a year. 500 million versus 38 million a year. So there are lots of different people that we can give this to. You know, we can give this money to lots of different incredible groups. There are a lot of groups out there doesn't have to go to the WHO. We can give it to groups that are very worthy and get much more bang for your buck. But we're going to make a decision in the not-too-distant future. If I could, I'd just like to have John Bell finish up by uh, talking about the great success in Louisiana. And you worked with our two great senators, and they were Absolutely. really... Uh, John and Bill, and, and they were really uh, calling me a lot and saying, we got to take care of Louisiana. So you had a great relationship with them. We did. I know Senator Kennedy worked on the respiratory, I'm sorry, the ventilator issue, and Senator Cassidy and I were, last night, were talking about uh, testing uh, and what we can do going forward with the blueprint, because uh, he and Dr. Redfield had, had discussed that. 
Um, but, but we've obviously turned the corner in Louisiana. We're in a much, much better place than we thought was even possible five or six sure. weeks ago, I, I will tell you. And, and that's because of our local partners and our federal partners and, and hard work. We've had a lot of lessons to learn because there's no blueprint for this. There's a blueprint for testing now, but there's no blueprint for a governor. How do you respond to, to a pandemic? Uh, so we've, we've had a steep learning curve, but I will tell you we're in a, we're in a much better place. Uh, the, the field medical stations that you provided, the, the Navy uh, medical personnel that you sent to Louisiana, uh, the testing that we had early was the key, and that has informed our testing strategy uh, going forward. And we're excited about the opportunity to have the test kits that we need allocated uh, starting in the month of May to get to the 200,000. We'll, we'll do uh, 43 persons per 1,000. That's what we're going to get to That's in Louisiana. And we're, and we're going we're gonna to be in, in much better uh, shape after that, Mr. President. We look forward to getting past this, returning to a newer sense of normalcy, uh, which I don't think will come officially and fully until we get the vaccine. Um, but we look, we're looking forward to moving. Uh, to, we're looking forward to moving ahead, and and just appreciate your work and, and your your contributions to our efforts. It's been very helpful. Well, it's an honor working with you Thank and you, the sir. people of Louisiana. Great people. They yes, put, they've really gone through a lot. Well, I'll just say they're the best. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what. They're right there. I agree. They're, they're great people. Have enough test kits and supplies to run as many tests as you think you need. Well, what I believe is that with the commitments that were made this past Monday by Admiral Girard, uh, that that having looked at all 50 state plans for testing going forward, that, that he, they've committed to resourcing Louisiana's request for 200,000 test kits per month. That gets us to 43 out of each out of every thousand. Uh, tested every month. We believe that that's sufficient for us to move forward uh, as we are able uh, to start reopening the economy. We know the lab capacity is there. Uh, a sheriff's deputy stops by the IRS with a routine question about his taxes. He has no... We have Dr. B.U. here with me. He's done a phenomenal job. He's responsible in large measure for that curve coming down. And so we feel pretty good at that level. And, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to be able to come up here today at the president's invitation to thank him for that commitment. Because this, I'm only speaking for myself, but having been part of all the calls with the governors, this is the big piece that, that we've been looking for. And with that commitment, we really feel much better about going forward. That's great. Great job. Would you like to say something, Doctor? Uh, we're, we're, uh, we know the importance of testing. We can't treat what we don't uh, find. And early on, we, we knew that we had a problem and we knew that we needed to surge our testing. And so we were grateful uh, to have that support, especially in the epicenter uh, in New Orleans, in the, in the uh, parishes right around there, so that we could get a sense of, of what's going on with COVID. And then we've continued that pattern through the rest of the state. Well, it's, uh, it's been great. And all of that is coming. Everything went and now it's coming. And uh, you'll be in a a position. I think you said 43. That's a big number. That's a great number. If you could do that, that'd be a fantastic number. Uh, one thing I think I'd like to just finish by saying, so we reached a million cases, and uh, that's, a, that's a tremendous amount. And the reason is because of testing, because other countries don't test. So you, if you don't test, you're not going to find cases. The reason we have a million, uh, take a look at number two. Number two is uh, a fraction of that. Because they don't test. They, they don't have the ability to do what we're doing. So it's a number that in one way sounds bad, but in another way is really actually uh, an indication that our testing is so superior. I mean, to think that we have uh, more people, more cases than China. Does anybody really believe that? But the testing is different. And, and I think also the transparency is much different. 
Transparency is like from day and night. We are totally transparent, whatever it is it is. But because of our great testing and because of what we've done and the amount we've done, we uh, are able to point out far more cases than anybody else has. Uh, if other countries did the kind of testing that we had, that we're a much bigger country than most also in terms of people, but if other countries did this kind of testing, you'd see numbers that would be much different. Okay? Thank you all very much. Thank you. And my thoughts on this, and today's uh, topic is on this one. I, sh I should have put this in the opening of the show. Today's, today's topic, my thoughts on this call, pay attention. One is you have to pay attention to the signs of what's going on. Two is you got to pay attention to what's the real deal that it's nothing but a game to these, to these people. Three is that you don't see the main agenda. Now, you can say it's God. You can say it's government wants to depopulate, destroy, uh, it's about money. You can say it's, uh, uh, you can say, well, it's, it's not, it's just natural, it's just it's natural pandemic, uh, uh, it's China, this is about Donald Trump being reelected, this is all about money and power yeah you can say all that but you have to pay attention because what I see that people don't see what I see that people do not even take the time to notice what I see this is nothing but a thing for survival this is called life and life not survival what I see is leadership what I see is Politics, politician game. What I see that these people know what's taking place. These people know what's going on. What I see that I pay attention now and now that I got some sense now. I'm 32 years old. 32 years old. What I see is a people that the doctor is trying to save lives. What I see the doctors don't know. What I see, people, is at a question mark. What I see, people just don't know how this whole coronavirus, COVID-19, they don't know. They just know that some people get better and some people don't. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of millions of people have died from this virus. They keep talking about the AIDS uh, pandemic. They keep talking about AIDS. And back in the, um, the 80s, 90s, whatever, AIDS broke out. But where, do, where, where does AIDS come from? It's a biological weapon. What, the, what does COVID-19 come from? It's a biological weapon. It's a weapon to destroy the immune system in all places. So this whole thing of Mr. Trump is talking about. Mr. Trump, Donald Trump, he's not, like I said, I keep saying, he is a businessman, not a politician. He goes by his point of view, within his point of view, he's, he has a non filter. But then that, he's a businessman. But then that, people don't really 
they see what they need to see. They pay attention to what they may know. So Mr. Trump, our president, our president, today, our president, Mr. Trump, he's more on the on the road to make himself free. He's more to my understanding that he knows Now, Mr. Trump is in a room with generals, uh, powerful leaders, in a room that the world, the world does not see. This is nothing but a matrix. Within the matrix, government basically is on the dollar that basically is the eye to govern over you. But people do not see what they need to see. You don't, you don't see what you need to see. You only see a man that basically is around people that makes promises. See this election coming up <clears throat> between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Now, remind you, if you understand Donald Trump by paying attention, listen to how he changed his tone. So the more you change your tone and you not stick it to your tone, you know something. You know something. He changes his tone. He changes his tone. He changes his tone. He changes his tone so much. You gotta pay attention to people. You gotta listen with your ears. See, this is oh, this is only a game. This is a game. And these people are playing God. <laughs> You're playing God. The doctors, you know, the doctors, the doctor, um, uh, what's his name? Um, I forgot his name. But anyway, the doctor, he's trying to save lives. But you have people that are skilled in biological and chemistry of chem a chemist. You know what I'm saying? They don't know. So this pandemic today is unusual. This pandemic today, this pandemic today is is is, is people trying to adjust. Then that, like the man said, fear. Because mankind's greatest greatest hinder is fear. So the more you fear, the more you fear it hinders you. Fear this causes lack of understanding. So understand Mr. Trump, he changes his tone. The more he changes your tone, it means you basically have to re rewind the tape. Or something you say, you gotta cover it up. You see, this is all a game. Basically, it's to depopulate. Depopulate the US is to outlook the world in the world. So understand what's taking place. You gotta pay attention. Now you gotta pay attention to this whole COVID-19. You gotta pay attention to these these men and these women that sits in high places in leadership. That you and I is not there in the, in this conversation in a room in a boardroom with a long table and a big television. So you understand this COVID-19? It's it's he said it's sore throat. Uh, uh, shortness of breath, all that. So understand this this COVID-19. Where does it come from? Some say it came from a bat. Some say it came from Wuhan. Some say it came from China. But, but do you really understand this, this this disease? Do you really understand this biological chemistry of weapons? Because my understanding is basically terrorism. You're like, how's terrorism? Well, that asks some questions. How did one particular place and they said oh this is where it came from China okay. you say well people travel okay well let's say sometimes you can have a little a little sample of 
particular group, and you make a deal, have a conversation in the room, and if, in the briefcase you have that particular group specimen, and I, I have that particular group specimen, so that means that we can share. You take that, I take this, I'm going to take away, I shake hands, and throw it to the public to see what happens. So this project 19 is basically a disease that comes in the forms then the flu becomes something else. So the doctors don't know and don't even understand. So this whole thing in this COVID-19 is a beast. It feeds, it feeds, it feeds. You see, people don't use common sense to beat the beast. People don't use common sense to beat the beast. People do not use common sense to beat the beast. I do. Since the day this came out, I have not got something. Why? I'm not walking around now I am because they told me to in order to go buy items like food, uh, uh, any item, come into the store, ride a bus, get an Uber, whatever, where I'm at. Why? But see, on top of that, I'm more, more conscious to be ahead of these, to be ahead of people that carry this, this disease or this virus is to do what? Hmm, let's see, change the timing. We see, we see people going to work in the room, it's like right from 3 to like 8, 9, 10. So around the time like you go like, let's see, 11 to like 11 to 5 o'clock in the end, it's See, see me, I pay attention because this is very, this is very entertaining to me. Like, why? Why is it entertaining to you? People are dying. Well, because the reason why it's entertaining to me is entertaining to me because I know what's taking place. I know what I know. And when you know what you know, it brings also more sorrow, but I know what I know. It's saying when a man knows when a man knows so much, he gains sorrow. But that's okay because I know how to deal with that. See, I pay attention. Because this is cited to me. This is like I'm on Rambo mode. Rambo. But see. I pay attention because I see what I need to see by looking at television. I see what I, I see what I need to see by hearing word of mouth from the locals. I, I see what I, I hear and I see and I pay attention. So how to be ahead of this COVID-19? How to be ahead of this beast that basically been thrown to the world that came out of particular places of the world, out of individual continents all over the place for a so-called reason of I see Agenda 21, Agenda 21, Agenda 21. World, world, uh, world domination of New World Order. Now, this is the thing. <clears throat> how do I be ahead of this? Not because of I can live and voice and people, but how do I be ahead of this as a strategy? Like I said, change the See, I understand this whole, uh, let's see, COVID 19 virus. You see, if you understand bacteria, if you understand germs, you cannot live outside in the cold because it's a living. Organism. For example, pay attention. If you try to stand outside in the cold, what will happen? You're gonna freeze again. Same, same thing with germs uh, and bacteria. Think about the hospital. Think about the hospital. Why is the hospital so cold? Because of them. Because humans carry this disease within themselves and destroys them. So, how do I pay attention and be ahead of this? Way ahead of this? At the very end. Let's see. Start my day early. See? So, that means social social distance. That means I see a crowd of people coming out of the I see a crowd of people in the building. Social distance. See, 
So within that common sense is to be is I pay attention that something is something else is coming forth. See? I pay attention. I wash my hands. I wash my hands. See, um I pay I pay attention because my gut feeling and my instinct saying uh, the storm is coming. People say it's it's God, it's this, it's that. Well, it's basically, um, let's see, the real God about to see is called technology. Technology. But see, I pay attention because as a creature, like a human being, like creatures, living, breathing mammals, I pay attention because there's a swift, there's a swift change in in the wind. There's a swift change in the atmosphere. Because the storm is coming, like Magneto said, it takes away the storm is coming. Yes, it is. But see, my own kind of black African American people don't see that. Because the majority of us have not been, have not been taught to learn anything else but just to play cards, drink, and party. You see, me as an individual uh, African American uh, adult man, I see, I, I see over the horizon, I see over the hill, I see that. Atmosphere and everything is changing. Because 70% of the kitchen, 70% of actually make people be number one. You see, it's not that we don't care, we just not talk. You see, I see over the horizon, I see over the hill. I see the storm coming. So I pay attention, you need to pay attention. It's not a time of I'll agree with a good time. No. You see, people are still afraid. People still wondering, still guessing, and still afraid. You see, I believe I pay attention, but it should open up the country. That's suicide, you would say, or not. Just open up the country. Open up the country completely. Have a mass engagement. See? But people will basically drift away and be selfish for them. See? This is all a game. Within the game you are playing called survival mode. Every man fund himself. But see, well, honestly, the system is about to change. The system is about to change. The system is basically the world. The world is the system. Computers, technology, and numbers, and digits. So, the earth is where Jesus The religious folks believe that it's called last days. No. There's no such thing as last days. Last days, last days is this way that you get taught in religion. <clears throat> last days of the last days of the remainder of the day. Last days. Last days of the remainder of the day. You see, people, see people, we people are like monkeys. You be, you've been raised, you know, you've been raised and taught. Just like your Bible says, raise a child grown up and that child shall follow. See, this is all a tradition. See, but you don't see what you need to see over the horizon. You don't see what you need to see over the hill. You don't see what you need to see because the storm is coming. The storm is coming. Hate to say it. Either you're going to survive. Either you're just going to lay down and die. Either you're going to fight for your life. Because there's a whole agenda now coming forth. Agenda 20, what's it called? Agenda 21, 2030. Nine to ten years later, a whole new system of things will come forward. You see, pay attention, pay attention. Because I see, as I wake up, as I go out, every time I go out into the world, because every human being is a uh, 
living, breathing spirit, and that the body is nothing but a temple. That's a deep step. But see, <clears throat> I pay attention. It's nothing but a game of politics by man to dictate. The swine flu that happened years ago, people made it through. And now, this is all I know the real agenda. And someone knows that someone let the beast out. Let the beast out and see what happens. There's nothing, all this all about money. I am Dre Wise, Dre Wise Conquer. Until next time on the exact same station of Major FM. Thank you. Have a nice day. What up, world? What up, media? Follow me on my Instagram account, that is Dre Wise 7. Follow me on my Facebook account, that is Dre Wise Count. You were. Also, the premiere of my catastetics session exercise video will premiere today at lunch hour. That is 11 o'clock in the morning. Tune in to that the premiere of my catastetics exercise working out at home quarantine. Quarantine. Also, donate to my cash app. That is Dallasan Lucian Jarrell Seven. Again, Dallasan Lucian. Rail 7 to hear more, hear more, hear more topics by me on this particular platform of Anchor FM. Also, collaborate with Spotify. Spotify here today on Anchor FM. Dre Wise, Dre Wise, Dre Wise, how you?